it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, I'm sure Kieran won't mind me revealing this. We're recording this a little bit later than normal on a Sunday because he's had a very Sussex-based wildlife problem to deal with this afternoon. Which, Kieran, you sent me a photograph of the 2000 bees, Kieran, and I presumed it was a Waitrose honey delivery. (laughs) Yes, it was... uh... So the, the Baroness called me sort of, uh, uh, earlier today and said, "What on earth's happening?" And, and it, I, I've I've seen many a disaster movie, and they normally involve Michael Caine and killer bees. And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Blimey, already, what's kicking off here?" Um, so yeah, we had uh, two thousand honeybees uh, decided that they were going to take up residence on our front wall. Wow! Um, and uh, we therefore had to contact the Sussex Apiary. Society, of course, um, uh, who who came round and uh, thought, well, this is going to be dead posh," um, and he scooped them up in a cardboard box. <laughs> going, this, this is, and he nipped, nipped down a hive. Uh, so yeah, that that was very good. And and the other, the very Sussex thing that we've happened, uh, I, I think we've had our first test match special moment of Ooh. the podcast. Oh. Um, and this is because uh, one of my neighbours, uh, his son Connor is a big fan of the show yeah. and he's also a chef Ooh. and he turned and when he found out that we lived there he turned up with lemon drizzle cake and a chocolate cake confection which was just off the scale so you know if this this is the summer you know i, I know you don't i don't, don't I know you don't like the hot weather kevin but if there's a chance for free cake uh you know count us in <laughs> free cake in sussex if there's any of our listeners in south london wants to knock on my door with a box of morley's they're more than welcome uh, I, I just imagine it's clear. Imagine the, the the look on the Baroness's face when another queen bee tried to muscle in. <laughs> that was going to. It's it's questions day, Kieran. But as it happens, it, it's quite handy that we have a late start because we have two news stories, and one of them is is very breaking news. Only happened this afternoon, and it involves um, a, a recent not favourite club. Um, mm. And I, I presume they think Sunday's a good day to bury. Well, it's actually good news, I think, isn't it? Uh, yes, and no, in the sense it's on the back of a lot of a lot of mismanagement. So, um, sadly, we're we're talking about Wigan Athletic yeah. again. Um, we know that the club has been deducted seven points for the current season, and will be starting next season on. Minus eight. Um, the the local journalist, and you know, you've got to you got to take your hats off to some of these guys because they they are very much in the firing line. Uh, Paul Kendrick, he's he's been keeping us up to date on social media and in the local press and so on. Um, it would appear uh, we are recording this on the fourth of June. It would appear that the playing staff are still haven't still not been paid for May. The non playing staff. Some have been paid. He's not managed to check with everybody. Um, so that's yeah, that's the fifth time um, the EFL, as we know, have got fed up. Um, there were pictures on Friday from the club shop with a sign in the window saying, we're closed, presumably because the staff have said, well, we ain't being paid. So what? You know, if, if, yeah. if the owner of the club, remember the owner is based in Bahrain, if the owner just keeps breaking promises, um, then uh, you know why? Why should we? Uh, why, why should we turn up with no guarantee of being paid uh, for for our for our services? Um, so 
in the afternoon of Sunday, the 4th of uh, of June, uh, there was a tweet from Tom Markham, the Chief Operating Officer, um, and sort of a long litany of, yeah, first of all, it's not us, Gov, uh, it's the owners. Yeah. Um, but, but the long and the short of it is that the owners have repeatedly promised funds that there's been backlogs in terms of both wages and monies due to HMRC. Um, but on the back of this, the, the two sort of operational directors, uh, Tom Markham and Oliver Gottman, have resigned. So there's one director left uh, who's effectively a representative of the owners. The chief executive um, was left a few months ago. Uh, and my understanding that, that that was very much a night of the long knives. So yeah, every, everybody's pointing fingers here. Um yeah, and nobody wants to take responsibility. Uh, but yeah, I could absolutely understand. I, I wouldn't want to be associated with um, a, an organisation which is so unreliable. But again, it's the people working in the offices. Um, you've got to feel sorry for the coach because how how are you going to attract players to Wigan for next season on starting on minus eight points mm. um, and with a probably a 50-50 chance of getting paid each month? Uh, on time, yeah. So uh, I, th- I think the club is is in a real pickle. Um, the EFL, I don't, I don't see what they can do. Yeah, you know, they 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 approved the change of ownership coming out of administration. They were given proof of funds, but just because somebody's got money doesn't mean that somebody's going to give that money. And also, um, yeah, the world of finance being the way it is is that it is possible to stick five or six million pounds into a bank account and equally to take that five or six million pounds out of the bank account because it wasn't yours in the first place, for example, and give it back to the person who gave it to you. So, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's happened in the case of Wigan, by the way. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an absolute show of uh, depression, uh, you know, and I, I was looking forward to putting my feet up for a couple of months over the summer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if, if football season's ended, you know, me and you, we could sort of go back to doing 20-minute shows. Well, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> the only reason I, I implied it might be good news, Kieran, is because I I, I kind of hoped it might be the first of a, uh, a slew of uh, tweets indicating that people in senior positions were leaving the club and that this was, in fact, the result of somebody coming in to take over. But I was probably too optimistic there. So these, these are people at a higher management level, but they're not people involved in actually owning the club that have resigned, are they? That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. It's it's not representatives of the owners. Right. Um, were, were the owners sold a pup? You know, were they... Uh, yeah, we, we don't know. Uh, but uh, they they either don't have the money or don't seem willing to, to, to pay the money. Yeah, Wigan's, Wigan's running at a loss, um, but you know, welcome to football in the 21st century. You're, you're mm-hmm. eight, there's 80 clubs uh, out of the 92 that are running at a loss. And that, that's that's me being generous in terms of my calculations. And, uh, our second story, Kieran, this time last week, Leeds fans were starting to come to terms with the fact that they will be playing in the Championship uh, this season. But now they've got to start to come to terms with shenanigans involving the ground, Kieran, which seems to have come out of nowhere. And I, I can't quite put my finger on how serious this potentially could be. Yes. Um, first of all, you've you got to give credit to the guy that broke the story. So this is Adam Crafton of The Athletic. We've had Adam on the show. Uh, he did uh, you know, a, a pretty deep dive into what's happening in uh, football in Ukraine. And that was both yeah. insightful and depressing at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so Adam broke the story that uh, it would appear that the uh, – the Ellen Road Limited, which owns the football ground, which isn't the same as Leeds United Football Club, and Ellen Road Limited is itself owned, I think, six, 78% by Andrea Radrizani, who's the majority shareholder of Leeds, 22% by the 49ers. Um, well, it looks as if uh, there was an attempt by Ellen Road Limited to borrow somewhere in the region of £26 million secured against the stadium. Right. And the reason for that is that Andrea Radrazzani wants to buy Sampdoria in Italy. So 
the reaction of Leeds fans was pretty negative. They're saying, well, okay, yeah, we, we noticed that you, uh, brutal, you weren't brutal, at the final match. Brutal is the word you're looking for, Kieran. Pretty, yes. pretty, pretty <laughs> negative is where it starts and very <laughs> very quickly escalated into way above pretty negative, Kieran. This is a, a team who's who's been relegated the day before and then we're waking up to this news, Kieran. They, they didn't take it lightheartedly and tongue-in-cheek, Kieran. It was brutal. Yes. yes. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, he, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't at Ellen Road for the final match. That was noted. Um, he appeared to, therefore, in the eyes of the fans, he'd gone across to Italy to try to buy another football club. Mm. You, know, you, can, you can absolutely understand it from the perspective of Leeds United fans. Um, where, do, where do your loyalties lie? Where do your priorities lie? Um, so what Adam had found was a document which is called Head of Terms. Now, Head of Terms is a proposal. It's not a legally binding document. Um, and this was to be what we refer to as a first mortgage. Now, you, you can uh, a, a business can have five or six mortgages from five or six different lenders. So therefore, you have what's referred to as a waterfall. You know, you, there's, a, there's a level of seniority in terms of should something happen to the business, um, who gets what and when. So, so that's, that, that seemed okay-ish. Then if you go into the paperwork of Ellen Road Limited, um, the 49ers themselves have a mortgage. So I'm thinking, well, hold on. You know, if, if I'd lent money to, to lead to, to Ellen Road Limited, I would be extremely cheesed off if somebody came in and said that they were a, a more uh, senior lender yeah you know, they 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 got priority mm. um and talking to people who talk to people who talk to people it turns out that the 49ers were who, who let's face it you know the 49ers own a significant proportion of each united they hadn't been consulted with regards to this this has gone completely over their heads um from my understanding talking to some of our friends in the legal profession the the attempt to to give this loan uh, first mortgage or, or seniority status would have failed anyway um, because there's no way that the 49ers would agree. Um, but the you know, by all accounts, the, the first thing that the, the, the lender know the, the the this the significant shareholder knew about this potential loan was when a journalist phoned them up and said. So what, what what do you think about this then? And they go, you know, I think the letters W, T, and F were uh, were were expanded upon. This is what I don't. I, I know this is my default setting on this podcast, but this is what I don't understand about this story. If if I were to, God forbid, this would never happen. But if I were to try and get a second mortgage on this house without Alice' permission, I don't think I would be able to do so. And also legally, I'm not sure where I would stand on that. So this. It, it seems like a remarkable. I'm not in, in, implying any illegal wrongdoing, but it seems like a remarkable thing to try and get away with, Kieran. It it just seems uh, ludicrous, um, yeah. and also you wouldn't want to be a eunuch uh, in the case of your financial mortgages. Yeah, so, right. yeah fair point. Yeah, which, which would be a consequence um, of, of that taking place. Um, it, it could be that. Andrea Radrizzani felt that Italian law might take precedence over UK law because his investment company is based overseas. But that 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 wouldn't be. The, I don't know where he'd, he'd taken advice from. Um, so well, the, the whole thing is a mess. He's he's saying uh, you know this is this is just journalists trying to get the fans against me. Um, like mm. they, they, they weren't in favour of you <laughs> to begin with, Andrea. I don't know where you mate, but uh, it, it certainly has accelerated uh, the, the the toxicity of the relationship between him and the fan base. And of course, there is a certain irony here, Kieran, in that, uh, and it's going to be me mentioning these words for the first time for once. It, the certain the irony is that perhaps an independent regulator would take an interest in this story, but Leeds were one of the clubs that were most against the idea of an independent regulator, were they not? Yes, um, I think Angus Kinnear in mm. his programme notes, um, and I think might regret this because it, it has been brought up um, on more than one occasion. I I 
did get a text from a certain MP to say <laughs> um, along the lines of, who's a fucking communist now, eh? Um, <laughs> so, no, Karen, um, I'm, I'm not having that language. Maoist. It was Maoist was, the, Maoist. was the, what she was <laughs> yes. called. If it was a she, this MP may not have been a she. Yeah, we're gender neutral. We're gender neutral we are, on this. We are, indeed. Um, so, yes, uh, Angus Kinnear... Was was doing the rounds, and, and I do think that that the Premier League's opposition to the independent regulator a is is actually very ill founded. I'm, I'm not sure that they've actually read the documentation because they keep summing out things. So you know, you, FIFA will kick up a FIFA will kick off because you can't have government interference in football. But when I last check. We've got football banning orders in this country. We've got the fact that you can't drink alcohol on the terraces. That's government interference yeah, in football. We've yeah. got the Taylor report. That's government interference in football. You know, in exactly the same way that the regulator and FIFA's completely relaxed about that because it sees these things as being for the greater good of the game. Um, yeah, FIFA's, so, FIFA's opposition to government interference is, is things like when Nigeria were banned for a year because the Nigerian government axed the FA and took over running the game itself. It's, it's Exactly. It, it, yeah. Uh, let's get on with the questions, Kieran, because we're yes. already 15 minutes in. We've got some very, very good questions this week, as usual. Mm. Uh, none of them are one-liners. I can, <laughs> no, no, I, we, I can confidently... I've, I've a lot of ink. A lot yes, of ink printing yes. this off. D- these are uh, Stuart Lee-type questions rather than Tim, <laughs> rather than Tim Vine-type questions, for those of you who understand the nuances of uh, British comedy. First one comes from Ben Archer, uh, and I, I think I understand what he's asking, Kieran. Um, but Ben Archer says, I've recently started work at a university that is a registered B Corporation and provides... Oh, B Corporation. You should have phoned him up. Um, hey. It's a registered B Corporation and provides a triple bottom line in their annual report. I was wondering if there were any football clubs that provide a similar breakdown of their social impact in their financial statements and annual report. I believe, Kieran, if memory serves me, I think Grimsby will... will Correct. Did this, Absolutely. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the people not familiar with the concept of uh, B Corporations. What it is, it's it's taking a step back and looking at where we are in the uh, in the environment of having limited liability companies being the dominant business force in modern society. And the conclusion of the people who have done the research is to say that um, – the, the nature of the legal systems, the nature of business behavior, the nature of corporate culture. Um, and, and you and I both remember uh, Gordon Gecko and Michael Douglas and, and the Wall Street movie. And, you know, I've, I've, I've taught on Wall Street. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the, uh, with, with a fairly aggressive culture and the, the, the idea that all that matters is a deal and all that matters is making money. Um, and the consequences of that sort of very, you know, I don't want it to be gender pro or negative, but the, the, the consequences of having an alpha male culture in terms of the way that law is designed and the way that companies behave is that we've got increasing inequality in terms of wealth and resources. We've got a, uh, an environment which is doing harm, uh, to things from an ecological, from a weather systems perspective, mm. um, and therefore it's creating, uh, you know, we've got vast swathes of the planet that can no longer be occupied, and that's going to only accelerate itself. So, you know, things such as migration are going to become a bigger issue because there's going to be bigger parts of the planet where people, where, where human beings cannot physically live. Yeah. Um, and also we are seeing increased evidence of social breakdown. Um so the the B corporation says well let's 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 expand corporate behavior let's say that yeah, a, a set of accounts shouldn't just be there for the shareholders in terms of how much money they're making but should be there to say we as companies have a responsibility towards society has a responsibility towards the planet and therefore we should assess things as it says here, the triple line in terms of impact upon the planet, impact upon uh, social benefits, 
uh, and so on. And, and that, yeah, that sounds a bit sort of woolly and cuddly and so on. Um, but yeah, my view, there's no profits on a dead planet. Yeah. yeah and, and I've got, <coughs> I've got grandchildren, you know, and, and sort of, you know, and again, it sounds like I'm sort of just swallowed the guardian wholly, but I'm not, um, you know, since, since becoming a grandparent, I'm thinking, well, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be here in 60 or 70 years. Mm. Yeah, I'm not, but oh, Christ knows, you know, the damage that we are doing. Um, so, it is an attempt to to broaden corporate behaviour, and Jason Stockwood and, and Andrew Pettit of Grimsby, I think they are the first club to to go along this. And uh, you know, for, for want of a better phrase, and I know this once came from a, uh, a former prime minister, the idea of caring capitalism that uh, actually, if if you do what's best for a large number of groups of people, everybody wins as opposed to just trying to do what's best for shareholders um and again it sort of it ties in with the independent regulator which yeah is effectively saying actually the most important people as far as the football uh, environment is concerned the football ecosphere um isn't owners um, and remember the uh Project Big Picture was great for the owners of six football clubs for, mm. for whom would take who would take control of of football. Um, the the Super League was great for the twelve owners of those football clubs, but for everybody else, it was extremely bad news. Um, so it's it's the aim is to say well fans are important, players are important, staff are important. Uh, the the place that a football club plays in terms of its uh, geographical location and its history and its heritage and everything it means to that town or city, that's important as well. Um, so, so that is sort of part of the B Core ethos. I, I don't think that sounds woolly at all, Kieran, and I'm, I'm guessing that Wigan fans would think exactly the same way. If if, if Wigan had signed, uh, had become a registered B Corp, then this wouldn't be happening, Yeah, I, is my guess. So this seems to me entirely laudable and something that you would hope well, if I'm talking about capitalism. Why would I hope that, Kieran? Let's strike that from the records. But it's it's a <laughs> it's something that we should be encouraging more people to do. Obviously, uh, our next question, Kieran, comes from Ruri Fajandero Wright. Uh, uh, Ruri, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly. Um, it, it's a question, Kieran, about a subject we we talk about regularly, which is how basically the limits of the ambitions of a fan-owned club. But I'm happy to ask it again because it starts with a very specific question mm. about Ruri's team, Exeter City. Um, and Ruri says, as a club owned by a supporters' trust, we're used to small budgets. Given the economic circumstances and the financial power of our fellow League One teams, most of us fans would have assumed that we would struggle to compete financially. That being said, there was some eyebrow raising when our manager, Matt Taylor, said last year we were over budget and could not even sign free agents. Part of this will relate to rising cost of our training ground redevelopment. So I was wondering how much of an impact this training ground redevelopment is actually having on the club financially. And secondly, and this is is a question we've been asked before, but it's worth revisiting. Is there any hope for the sustainability of this ownership model at the third tier or above? We're very proud to own the football club, but it does appear to be quite a firm ceiling on our aspirations. Yeah, I I think if we address that second question first, my feeling is that there is a natural ceiling for a fan-owned club, and that that ceiling is League One. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with setting up a football club, the aim of which is to be there in 50 years, because it's going to represent the the local city of Exeter. It's uh, it's going to be there on a balanced budget in in the main. Um, and it's it's going to try to um, you know, represent the ethos of the fans. People can go along. Yeah, I've been to Exeter as an away fan. Great day out, um, and uh, you know, good good places to to eat and drink and and meet other people before the match. Which which is one of those things which only football does, in my view. Um, so that that can be done when you get to league. So when you get to the championship. And the average losses in the championship are 470 grand a week. You've got a problem because if you are a billionaire, if you are a multi multi millionaire, um, whilst you don't particularly want to write out a check for 470 grand a week, you can afford to do so. The fans of Exeter City cannot do that. 
Um, so, so therefore, you know, that they they could get lucky, they could get promoted, you know, and then, you know, I I really admire Rotherham that they quite often do really well in League One, get to the Championship, and their objective is is to finish uh, just above the relegation zone, and, and yeah, they they've achieved that this year. Um, but what they don't do is go crazy on wages, and and also, you know, again, you you can get lucky. No, no, not so lucky. You can be really well organised because mm. that's what we've seen in the case of Luton Town and, you know, fantastic uh, achievement of theirs. You know, it's not down to luck. It's down to hard work. It's down to organisation. But um, I, I think you are fighting against the system because even Luton were losing uh, a, a seven-figure amount of money uh, in terms of their participation in the championship and fans can't do that. Um with regards to Rui's other issue, um, Exeter City have made profits in the last two years. They've got £1.9 million in the bank at the end of 21-22. Um, as far as the budget is concerned, any capital project is going to cause problems because raw material costs have gone up. So that's an issue for the training ground. Your utility costs, your transport costs, your labour costs have gone up. Well, you know, they're all needed to build the new training facilities. So, so that's why it's exceeded the budget. It's not. It's not down to. It's not down to poor decision making uh, by people at the club. It's simply due to the fact that, as as we know, you know all prices have gone through the roof, um, and, and therefore you know, that means that savings have to be made elsewhere because um, you can't put those prices you, you can't transfer those prices through to fans the tv deal is a fixed price deal as far as the efl's relationship with the broadcasters is concerned until the new deal kicks in in 24 25 the sponsors might have signed a multi-year deal as well so the ability of football clubs to generate additional cash is restricted but their cost base is going up so therefore they've got to squeeze costs elsewhere I was uh, actually offered a place, Kieran, at Exeter University to study Ooh. study history, uh, and I turned it down because my then uh, girlfriend, uh, we 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 were t- we'd been together for a couple of years. We were together for four more years after that. She she had full hysterics. Said, "You can't go ex- to Exeter. It's, it's far too far away. What am I going to do without you?" So I I turned it down. And uh, three days later, three days later, she said, "This is going to make you laugh." I've accidentally accepted a place at Plymouth Polytechnic. Uh, no. Yeah, Ex- Exeter is a fantastic university. It's, it's a brilliant university. I'm told. I, I I remember going around the cathedral thinking, "Oh, this is going to be fun down here." I'll, I'll patronise Exeter City every now and again when I'm not travelling up to see Palace. I never did get to the bottom of how she accidentally got a place at Plymouth <laughs> Polytechnic, but it's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to going to Plymouth because uh, I saw a lot of uh, well, I saw a lot of her bedroom in four years, Kieran, but I saw a lot of Plymouth as well. Basically, so this is why I'm looking forward to going back to see it. She she WhatsApped me uh, the other day because she somebody she has no interest in football or finance, but somebody clearly had told her that they'd heard in the pod I was going to Plymouth, and she WhatsApped me to say, "Oh, you're going to go and visit at my old house?" Oh, no, I, I couldn't, still can't find a polite way of going. No. <laughs> I'll, go and, I'll go and see the Minerva in the barbecue, which is yes. my favourite pub. This next question, Kieran, I think is a cracking, cracking question. It's a really interesting one, Kieran. This and again, it's one of those uh, that I love. That I will say this because it's never occurred to me, and it should have done. And it comes from Anders Stenner, and Anders says the Bosman ruling is one of the most consequential and talked about in the football world, and indeed on this podcast. As far as I understand, this is a ruling from the European Court of Justice. So how does this apply to dealings with non-EU countries? Does the Bosman ruling have any impact on transfer dealings between two non-EU countries or between an EU country and a non-EU country? For instance, could Man United deny a player with an expiring contract and move to Brazil or Norway as neither of those countries are members of the EU? Yes, this is a, this is a cracking question. Um, I, I've contacted uh, two of our legal friends. Um, I will call one of them uh, Stuart, and I will call one of them Nick. Okay. I won't give their surnames. Um, is that Stuart DeMarco and Nick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and the issue with Bosman is that it's linked to one of the fundamental principles 
of being part of the EU, which is the freedom of movement of labour. So, you know, for, yeah, from my point of view, I used to work in, uh, I, I've worked in Frankfurt, I've worked in Poland, I've worked in Cyprus, I've worked in France. Um, and, you know, all I used to do was hop on a plane or hop on a train. And that's all you had to do. Now, you know, the, the, the voters have decided they don't like freedom in this country. Um, so therefore, those freedoms no longer apply. Um, when... When Brexit occurred, uh, initially the the U- UK Parliament voted to carry over EU laws because otherwise there would have been a huge vacuum of you know forty seven forty eight years worth of legislation which was so intertwined with EU law. So initially the UK government voted to to adopt uh, EU law. So therefore the Bosman ruling still applied. And then what we have subsequently seen is um, the government has said, well, there's going to be a bonfire of EU regulations. But mm. that, that bonfire is is a bit like me setting light to a twig. You know, it's, it's not actually very much has occurred with regard to that, um, except uh, except in the case of bees. Um, going 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 back to our first topic, um, and the reason why uh, the bees that uh, that uh, sort of attached themselves to our house were able to be rehoused is because the the UK government has uh, reversed one of the EU bans on insecticides, which kill honeybees. So now uh, this this guy who came came to see us, he said, "Yeah, I've got uh, I've got, got two two empty hives because uh, yeah, Brexit means dead bees." Which I, don't, which I don't think was the slogan that was used at the time. Um, so, so that that is an, an issue. Um, at present, the only way in the UK um, where a player is out of contract could be restricted from joining another con- another club is if the club which they currently have has tried to embed an additional clause into that player's contract. Now, there's no way that an agent would agree to that. And there's no way that, you know, that the agent would probably say to, um, you know, they'd probably get it seen by a lawyer. And the lawyer go, well, hold on. Uh, you know, this is effectively saying that your player signed a three-year contract and at the end of the three years, he, he can't go anywhere, anywhere else. You know, no, nobody would sign that because you're fully aware that one of the benefits of the Bosman contract, especially for elite players, is that they can you know sign a two year deal? You know, especially you know, Ibrahimovic is a classic example. Goes two years for somewhere, gets a massive signing on fee, signs another two year contract, gets a massive signing on fee. Um, this way would uh, mean that there's more money going to to the clubs. So um, there could be a test case. The government could introduce legislation to uh, force football players to um, stay at, at a particular club. Um, but I think it's highly unlikely. It would certainly would go against um, everything that they have been saying in terms of the independent regulator. Sorry to bring up the subject again, um, you know, because that, that's it's it's not in the interests of one of the key stakeholder groups, which who are the players. If you know, if, if you or I want to move elsewhere for for employment, we we hand in our notice and move. So you know, there's no way that a football club should be able to to effectively um, have sort of. You know, spoiled Victorian child measures of, of employment. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Rob Spillane. And I hope Rob will understand that before I answer this question, Kieran, I'd like to point out that if I were doing uh, a lecture on comedy writing, I would include this question as an example. There's, there's, a, there's a name for this sort of uh, screeching handbrake turn that happens <laughs> halfway through. You went along to see a recording of I Got News For You the other night, Kieran. Yes, yeah, wonderful, and, and, wonderful. And in, in our world, you know, as in all professions, like to make up names to set, make themselves sound impressive and to, you know, to baffle strangers. And, and we have uh, a type of joke which is called the scud. And it's a joke which <laughs> starts off and looks like it's heading in one direction and then suddenly out of nowhere, it's about Boris Johnson. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it will start off as a joke about a cat and then suddenly the punchline's Boris Johnson. So I wanted to bear that in mind when, uh, when, <laughs> when I ask Rob's question. And Rob says, football in China is still unable to be watched as the matches are being held in just two cities in the country, neither of which are anywhere near Shanghai. So I'm forced to dream up hypotheticals. If you had the option of buying any club in the country, <laughs> purely as a business decision, managing both TV revenue, existing debt, need for input of money, ability of growth, all the bells and whistles, which would you buy? So there's no football in China. Would you buy Charlton Athletic? Yes. Essentially, essentially, but it made me laugh a lot because it, it's it's um, – <laughs> It's it's one of those jokes where somebody will tell you a joke. You go, that's a bit of a scud, isn't it? What did that? How did that end up being about the number of kids Boris Johnson's got? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, this uh, I'm always worried about questions like this because uh, it, it will get into the local press. You know, Maguire says such and such a club is the best one in the country to buy. But Fair point. these. Yeah. These are the ones that I, I would suggest taking into account sort of Rob's criteria, which effectively rules out those clubs that are uh, currently rule, owned by billionaires who, mm. who are running them for their own, their own benefit. Um, so the ones that I would suggest would, first of all, be Norwich, because I think that there's – yeah, it's it's a club which has bounced between the Premier League and the Championship. I think there's the scope to, um, yeah, if, if I if I acquired it, could I expand Nor you know Carrow Road to you know, thirty six, thirty seven thousand. I think that'd sell out because of the, uh, you know, the the demographics in in both the city itself and the surrounding area. Um, it, it's got a good academy. It's got good good ethos. So I, I think it's it's good. Um, Plymouth. Yeah, I think I mentioned Plymouth before, and I'm not saying yeah, it's just yeah, because yeah. we're friends, friends with the club, and we're going there on Tuesday uh, to to do the, the to do the the live show. But I, th- I think Plymouth has got huge potential. Um, again, sort of dominates the local area. Uh, there is a really passionate fan base. Um, Bristol City, Bristol is a huge. Yeah, Bristol in its own right is a huge city. It's. Uh, uh, I, I know that there's there's rugby there as well, but uh, you know Ashton Gate is. Uh, yeah, again, an impressive stadium. I think the owner has put in a ridiculous amount of money. But I think if, they, if you got the if you got the bits and p- bells and whistles right, you could expand it further. Um, and there's no reason why it couldn't establish itself uh, at a higher level. Um, and then uh, Birmingham City, which is a club oh, which, okay. in my view, has has suffered from poor ownership um, more than more than most. So therefore, if you get rid of the poor ownership, um, as far as the the land footprint is concerned. Yeah, Birmingham's. Yeah, Birmingham's. I think it's now. Is it now being overtaken by Manchester? There's always this argument. I, mm. We always used to say in Manchester that we're bigger than Birmingham. They always used to say that they were bigger than, than Manchester. But I th- but certainly, you know, we've got two huge cities, two huge clubs in 
in Manchester. Why can't we have two huge clubs in, in Birmingham? There's the scope to, to to develop the ground. There's there's a hardcore fan base. There's the opportunity to grow the fan base. So those are the four that, that I came up with. But there's probably others. You know, I was thinking, well, hold on, what about Bradford? Yeah, they're, they're getting 22,000 in League Two. Uh, yeah, why can't they get 22? You know, then, then they can certainly do well in, in the Premier League can as I, well. Can, so I, can, I throw, can I throw one at you, Kieran? You certainly can. This, uh, oddly, this very question came up at a funeral I was at on Friday. Uh, my dear friend Andy Smart, um, which is a very emotional, very funny day. But in the pub afterwards, while uh, it's a classic male cliche, most of the blokes, of course, uh, absolutely adamant that they were going to be discussing their feelings and emotions and how they actually felt about Andy's demise. We instead, about 50 of us, got discussing which football club would you buy, essentially, because Andy was a huge Farnborough Town fan. Uh, yeah, there was, there was, the chairman of Farnborough was there and uh, several people from Farnborough. It's, it's, that was, in fact, the only time I got emotional was when they said that they were going to name the Player of the Year uh, in his honour and also the commentary box. He used to do co-commentary for Farnborough Radio. And they're going to name that after him. So, they, so I said, it's going to be the smart box, isn't it? And they went, yes, it is going to be the smart box. <laughs> so we were discussing and I, I came up with Charlton Athletic here. And I thought Charlton, given its location, of course, given its uh, traditional, it's given its huge fan base still. Um, so that seemed to me that's, that would be a club that you think could easily be back in the Premier League as it was for seven or eight seasons only a decade or so ago. Yeah, and again, it's a classic case of poor owners rather than poor club. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, certainly in the 30s, well, in the 30s, 40s, it was a huge club, massive. I mean, you're talking about crowds of 75, 80,000. So, uh, yeah. Martin Warburton has our next question. Thank you, Martin. And Martin's question is, as the upcoming changes to European competitions are primarily being driven by commercial interest in the Champions League, the Europa and Conference League seem to be an afterthought. It didn't seem, it wasn't an afterthought the other night when they kicking seven shades of shit out of each other. Um, <laughs> that was like a, a, a sitcom from the 70s. That, that, uh, so, Martin said, could there be an economic and long-term growth argument for regionalising these two competitions in the group stages? I think he, he he's absolutely right there. Um, yeah, as, as somebody that is playing in the... Huh? His team of supports playing in the oh, Europa yeah. League next season. Well, no, I haven't mentioned it before. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the Atlas has been uh, well and well and truly thumbed, um, <laughs> try, trying to work out the because uh, <laughs> some of those places are a fair distance away. Um, so, as as far as the group stages, having a a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference does make a, a degree of sense. Even so, some of the distances would be huge. And also, from the perspective of a fan, you know, can you imagine what it would be like if it's your first season in Europe and you end up with TNS, Heart of Midlothian, and Coleraine due to the regionalisation? You go, well, it wasn't really quite what I was looking for. You know, sort of, yeah, these dream trips to Europe. Um, and, there's, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with Coleraine. There's nothing wrong with Edinburgh. My wife uh, my wife was born there, as we know. Indeed. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with Mid Wales. But, uh, you know, it, sort of, it, it, it does sort of, uh, sort of put, put, a, put, a, put a pinprick in your balloon of excitement. Mm. Um, if, if you're if you're looking at going to foreign climbs, yeah. Uh, Rory Miller has our next question, Kieran. Rory says ah, you'll enjoy this. My question is on the <laughs> accounts of Manchester United PLC. Their consolidated accounts for both 2021 and 22 reveal negative retained earnings, but in both years dividends have been paid. I appreciate that Manchester United PLC is a Cayman Islands registered company and listed on the New York Stock Exchange, but how can it pay a lawful dividend without distributable profits? As consolidated accounts, are the dividends being paid out of a profit-making subsidiary to the shareholders there, or are the dividends only lawful because they're being paid out of the USA? I always make it my rule, Kieran. If I don't understand the question, you will love it. <laughs> yes, this is a uh, <clears throat> this is a, a legal stroke accounting question. For people that are unfamiliar with the term consolidated accounts, consolidated accounts are produced by what we refer to as a group. And if we actually take a look at Manchester United PLC, 
it owns um, it owns about 20 different companies. It owns Manchester United TV. It owns Manchester United Football Club Limited. It owns Manchester United Limited. It owns the women's team. It's got various things called Red Shareholder Limited. So it's it, it's a bit of a mess. Um, and, and consolidated accounts, what you do is, uh, is we pretend that we don't have 20 companies. We've just got one company. And if there was one company, you add, you add effectively the accounts of all the 20 clubs together. And it, and it gets a bit messy. Now, dividends are paid out of the accounts of the company rather than the group. So the group is losing money. But, um, Rory, if you fancy, uh, and, and I, I, I was doing this on a Sunday morning, if you fancy going to page F60 of the Manchester United 2022 accounts and pop down to note 36, you will there see the accounts of Manchester United, the company. And that company has made profits, and therefore you can pay dividends out of them. People not not familiar with this concept of dividends, under UK company law, and this does take priority uh, over US law, um, under UK company law, um, you can only pay uh, money back to shareholders if the company itself has made a profit, the group has lost money, but the company has made a profit, and therefore um, it's uh, it is uh, within the legal boundaries. Mm. I just uh, wrote down F sixty N thirty six, and I sank one of your battleships. <laughs> um, uh, talking of shares, Kieran, I was going to ask you off this off air, but actually, I think it might be quite interesting to our listeners. The 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 cat's really so Ali's gone down to Bath uh, for a month to do a show at Bath Theatre Royal. The cat is really sulking because whenever she sees Ali's suitcases in the landing, she goes out. She's just come back and she's she's blaming me for the whole Farago. But she's staying with uh, a friend of ours who who I can only describe as a left ring firebrand. Her name's Annie Marjoram. She used to be Ken Livingston's uh, advisor on female issues when he was mayor. She's fantastic. Proper uh, Yorkshire type. He wouldn't. He wouldn't take her on any sort of argument. But bizarrely, her son, by mm-hmm. a family friend, has just left him in his will two shares from Ipswich Town, okay. which, which were seem to have been issued somewhere around the sixties, which I find a bit baffling because that's when the Cobolds were owning. But um, I've, I've already because he he she she put him in touch with me, and I I've already confidently said to him. They're not worth anything. Put them in your toilet. And I'm worried now that you might have ripped them up and they might be actually valuable antiques. So they won't be worth anything, will they, Kieran? Um, Given that Ipswich Town has lost around about £10 million a year for the last decade, they are, as an investment, fairly worthless. Um, So, so yes, uh, emotional uh, investment rather than financial would be my description. I I got really worried when you went... um, I, I, I thought this could go two ways. He could be going. There's there's two shared certificates that are the most valuable sought after thing in football. They're like a program for the first FA Cup final. Um, our next question comes from Ron Hollis, and Ron's question is about something he says you talked about a lot, and he's quite right. Um, Ron says almost every week you feature a discussion about streaming EFL matches during the sacred 3 to 5 p.m. slot on a Saturday. To be fair, Ron, that's partly because we get asked about it every week as well. Um, But each time you mention Accrington chairman Andy Holt's misgivings about loss of revenue due to the way the income is split, would it be possible for the streams for EFL matches to only be purchased from the home club? i.e. when Accrington are hosting Sheffield Wednesday, which won't happen as they're two divisions apart, but when Accrington are hosting Sheffield Wednesday, Accrington are the sole source for obtaining a streaming pass to watch the match. That way the host club gets all the income for their match, as they do with the ticket sales from those physically attending. I know this is one of the things that has cropped up in conversation, uh, Kieran, but I'm happy to to answer it again because it's, mm. it seems like a logical way to solve... Some of Andy Holt's misgivings doesn't quite do it justice, but because Sheffield Wednesday couldn't argue because they'll be getting the twenty five thousand streaming passes. But then again, I suppose Accrington will be upset if they're not getting the split of that money. So, yeah, when it comes to distribution, um, there's there's always two issues: a there's how big is the pie, and then secondly, how are we going to slice the pie? 
Um, and those decisions are determined by um, a democratic vote of football club owners. Um, and everybody votes in their own self-interest. Yeah, this is one thing we've always said, and you, you can understand uh, why, why people have chosen to do this. Um, so therefore, if the only way that this could be put through the home company keeps all of the, uh, the, 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 the streaming passes, why would Sheffield Wednesday vote for it? Mm. Because if Accrington Stanley come to Sheffield Wednesday, Accrington might take a thousand, yeah, they, they might sell a thousand passes. If Sheffield Wednesday are going to Accrington, they might sell 10,000. So why give 10,000 passes to Accrington when Accrington are only going to sell a thousand passes to Sheffield Wednesday? So you can see why the big clubs are reluctant to, to give a greater share. And it's exactly the same in the Premier League when it comes to the distribution of monies, that the Rich, rich people do not like giving money away to, to people less mm. wealthy than themselves. Um, that's that's a bit of probably over yeah, oversimplification, but um, that, that's that's the position that we're in. Um, coming up with a solution which works for everybody, um, and I think there's a separate issue now is that under the new EFL TV deal, which comes into play in 2024, remember the EFL is uh, broadcasting a 1,000 matches yeah. a season via Sky. So that doesn't actually leave a huge amount over for the, the iFollow service or, or the streaming service. That's not to say that there won't be a deal for those remaining matches, um, but th th we're not talking a huge uh, quantity of matches which will be available. It's exactly the same in the Premier League. If you take a look at the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool, they play 38 Premier League games. I think I think there's a ceiling of 28 or 29 matches which can be broadcast um, in respect of any one club. But um, that doesn't leave them a lot to, to broadcast via a streaming platform. And then there's the issue is, OK, we are now going to stream them. How are we going to divvy up the money? And, and that is proving to be the uh, the area in which clubs are falling out. I hope Ron Hollis won't mind me saying this, but Ron Hollis has got a, a cracking name. It's a sort of name. Mm. It sounds like a, a, a 1960s shop steward, the sort that might have been played by Peter Sellers in a film, basically. You can imagine Ron Hollis. Uh, and our next question comes from Harry Handley, who sounds like he might be the sort of loose manager of the factory that Ron Hollis is the shop steward in. Uh, and Harry would be played by Terry Thomas, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> it's the sort of thing that drives producer guy at the wall. He said, if you spent as much time researching the actual questions as coming up with comedy attributes for the names of the people who sent them in, the podcast might be 10% BAFTA-worthy. But uh, this is a very interesting one, actually, and it will be of interest to our uh, great friend Max Rushton, who's a big Cambridge United fan, because Harry says, I recently saw the news that Cambridge United had partnered with a local financial advisory firm with the partnership involving financial workshops for first team and academy players, as well as engaging with the club's community trust. That sounds to me like a very clever idea, I have to say. It, that's me saying this, not Harry. But Harry says, is it common for football clubs to have financial advisory partners or does it just tend to be left up to the players and staff to sort their own finances? Alternatively, would those with sponsorship from financial service firms, e.g. Liverpool and Standard Chartered, embed such services as part of the sponsorship deal? Because this is something, Kieran, well, I, I fully agree with you because I <laughs> this part of my problem as an adult, I wasn't taught enough about handling finances as a kid, and I mm. didn't. I didn't wasn't involved in anywhere near the amounts of money that these players, even Cambridge United players, will be earning substantial amounts of money compared to most of the people listening to our pod. I guess you're absolutely right. And remember, there was a report put out by the PFA, albeit a few years ago, which said that forty percent of professional footballers went bankrupt. And within a few years of yeah. retiring and leaving the game. And part of the issue there is uh, a lack of familiarity with um, budgeting, with, with the transition 
um, from being a a player to a to a a life outside of the game. Um, you used to be able to to claim your your football pension at thirty five. Well, yeah. that's now gone up, I think, to fifty five. Yeah. So so therefore, that there is this gap. And we had somebody on the show who who said, you know, in, in very brutally, I don't even know what to put on my passport anymore yeah. because yeah, yeah. You know, ex footballer doesn't look great yeah um so you can understand the the, the issues here um the the pfa you know, i know we mentioned this a week or two ago is now launching its own business school with a view to trying to uh, broaden the uh the knowledge base of its of its members um but as far as um uh, assistance goes uh, it's. I, th- I think this looks like a uh, a positive step by Cambridge. Um, certainly, Barclays, when they used to sponsor the Premier League, one of the reasons why they used to sponsor the Premier League was it allowed them access to to individual clubs and and to to use what they refer to as their wealth management team, which is looking after the finances of uh, wealth wealthy individuals and clearly professional footballers with a. Yeah, based on my calculations, uh, a mean salary of around about £2.7 million a year fall into that category. Um, so give, giving advice. Some agents will try to provide those services for their clients. Uh, some agents do it very well, others less so. And that's why we, we end up with some of the problems that we have today. Um, but but I think uh, I, the trouble is when you, when you talk to players – um, yeah, they say I, I get used to a certain level of lifestyle, yeah. and that lifestyle is is easily affordable. Yeah, I'm not trying to live by on them. It's easily affordable as a professional footballer. But that that first month when you've not got you know X hundred or thousand pounds coming into your pay packet, and you've still got all of those standing orders and direct debits going out, that is a huge shock to the system. Um, and and preparing for that and adjusting to that is very difficult because the culture of football clubs, the culture of the dressing room, is that nothing matters apart from the next match and you know, the, the types of things that we're looking at here, which is you know, all of the dull stuff, which is you know, setting money aside, mm. um, looking at long-term sort of you know, positives and negatives in terms of cash flows. Um, yeah, they they get uh, they they simply don't get discussed because you just want to be picked for Saturday. I, I mentioned the word scud earlier, Kieran. There's also a a well known showbiz, uh, for want of a better word, uh, thing. It's called series come down. It's when it's when you've done a a, a a a tour of a show for six months. It's when you've been in a play for a year. It's when you've done a TV series for fourteen weeks. When everyone's Working together, work you know, is committed. It, it, it's fun. It's hard work. But then when it's all over, it, it's like the Edinburgh Festival. It probably takes you two weeks to to get used to it not being there. So these footballers have got the ultimate series come down. So they're having to deal with the cold, hard financial reality at the same time as they're having to come to terms with. They're not doing something day in day out that they've been doing for. 20 years uh, and we both know quite a few players who it, it takes them years if 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 never to replace that dressing room camaraderie environment there's nothing in the outside world that replaces it for them and that's at the, so you're throwing a bucket of water on them there and also they're having to come up to cut and I know people say we'll pour them but the fact is that they are surrounded by people for, for 15, 20 years, who are trying to take money mm. away from them. They're not encouraging them to do anything about, you know, putting that money away. They're trying to get them to earn more money and give a percentage to them. So I, I, my heart goes out to some of these players sometimes. I know people, I know one cricketer in particular, I don't think will ever get over the fact that he's not in a dressing room environment every day. So it's, 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 it's hard. And, it, and there is that element of people going, oh, well, you know, Sodom, they had it good when it lasted. But I think, I think that's harsh. Um, uh, my, our last question, Kieran, is an interesting one. Except it seems that we've ruined the life of a toddler. Which um, is- <laughs> the question comes from Alex Hare, and Alex says, "My daughter has recently committed herself to being an Ipswich Town fan, and is taking a great interest in football. Every Saturday morning, we walk to the local toy shop 
where she chooses to invest her hard-earned pocket money. And I'm, I'm pleased to hear, Kieran, even in this day and age, some people are making their kids earn their pocket money. Yes. <laughs> but on her way to the local toy shop, um, she asked me a football finance question. I didn't know where to begin asking. I said, however, that I try and find out, and I'm turning to my favourite football finance podcast for help. Sophie said to me, Daddy, who is the poorest football club and how do they survive? Uh, and Alex says, to be clear, I checked with Sophie whether she meant professional or any football club, and she said the ones that we go and watch, which presumably is Ipswich, which means professional. So, uh, Kieran, can you, is there any way of explaining to uh, a young child called Sophie, is there, a, is there a poorest football club and how do they survive? Well, Sophie, if we take a look at the 92 professional clubs that participate in the Premier League and the EFL, um, one way of measuring the poorest club is by saying who can afford to buy players. And that means there's probably 12 clubs in League Two who have not paid any transfer fees. So they they have got a, a player budget of zero when it comes to buying players. 12, Kieran, uh, did you say? 12, yes. No, uh, with which no is, transfer budget at all? Yep. Wow. Yep, they, they, they rely on academy players. They rely on loan players. They rely on Bosmans. Um, and... That's that's the case. The Scot the Scot SPFL, the Scottish Premier League, yeah, the top division in Scotland. That they've got some of the clubs there. Because uh, I was looking at the account, I think it was at Ross County. Yeah. Um, they they've got a zero uh, recruitment budget. Absolutely amazing stuff. Um, so so that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is to say, well, how much money are they spending on wages? And unfortunately. <clears throat> due to the way that the law works in this country, is that that smaller clubs don't have to produce that information. But my gut reaction is that we would be looking at clubs that are in the bottom half of League Two, perhaps those clubs that have come up through the National League in recent years. So the likes of of Barrow, Sutton, Harrogate, um, Morecambe, who have just been relegated from League One to League Two, I think they will be operating on a very small budget. We know that our friend Andy Holt at Accrington always used to say that they had one of the two lowest budgets um, in uh, in the divisions in which they were playing. So, so those are sort of the types of clubs that we're looking at. I think, you know, possibly the, those clubs tend to be in the north of England. Uh, they don't have big fan bases. They don't have particularly high attendances, and that means that they've got less money to spend on players and wages. Kieran, this will sound like a strange question, but if you have got clubs that have a zero recruitment budget and are, as you say, relying on Bosman's free transfer, does that mean that they have to have somebody very clever at the club to manage that zero recruitment budget? Presumably, so is that going to cost them a salary? So, because it seems to me that that's a a very specific job is the sort of problem that a Premier League club would never have to worry about. But of course, they've got whole teams of people who are who are scouting and recruiting. But it seems to me that if you're one of those those twelve clubs in in League Two that are relying on finding players like that, that's a full time job. It, it is. Uh, yeah, you, you're constantly scratching around, and remember, yeah, you're looking for a left back. Probably in March, you've got a choice of four. And one of them's not interested geographically. Yeah. Another one's not interested because of the wages. Um, and then another, the third, you know, choice three decides to go to another one of your rivals who's offering £200 a week more. And therefore, you're left with, with choice number four. So keeping that list up to date, uh, you know, you're often using some of the scouting organisations to do that work for you. You might have a good relationship with agents who are saying, well, yeah, my client, yeah, yeah he's, he's I'll get him in contact with you and so on. Uh, but it, it's it's a bit like doing a, a Rubik cube blindfolded in a darkened room um, in terms of trying to get all of the pieces to fit together by the start of the following season. Have you done, you strike me as the sort of person who's done that, Kieran? <laughs> well, I'm colourblind, so... Oh, my God, I hadn't thought of that. Is there a... I should, oh, do you know what, Kieran? I'll just... Oh, I don't know if Mr Rubik's still alive, but he should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> Never once occurred to me. Uh, the, the next Prize of Football live show, Kieran, takes place tomorrow, uh, mm. Tuesday the 6th of June, at Plymouth Argyle's home park stadium. I'm going to read this out, Kieran, because this guy's put it in uh, what we laughingly refer to as a script. Uh, it says tickets are available still from the Argyle website. It's 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 two or three tickets still available, Kieran. 
They've been available for the last four weeks. I don't think I'm going yes. to shift them. <laughs> if we haven't shifted them in the last four weeks, Kieran, we ain't shifted. And I know that's a kind of Gerald Ratner approach to marketing my own brand there. But what tends to happen with all our live shows, Kieran, is about 200 people buy them as soon as they go up for sale because they want to go. And everybody else goes, do what? Yes. What? No. And somebody might realise there's no football tomorrow. They might. They might go. Actually, there's no football tomorrow. I might pop along. You never know. I don't know. Somebody might. The, the, the Baroness is checking the tickets as well. Oh well, now Kieran, why didn't you say that four weeks ago? We would have double sold out. <laughs> uh, if, if somebody might might not want to go to the show, but might want to see me in the Minerva on the barbecue about. So, if if I found out that the Minerva is gone. Like the drum, when I found out last year, Kieran, that the drum and monkey had gone for Ipswich, the best away pub in football ever. I was—I've never been more incensed in my life. You could knock down—you know how much I love history, Kieran. You do, yes. You, you could knock down Canterbury Cathedral. I'd be crossed for three days. <laughs> Knocking down the drum and monkey. I was, I was still, I'm still now. It was a, uh, uh, if, this, if the Minerva's gone, you saw the best punk jukebox in the country. Uh, and I used to do that. I remember the first time I went there, they did that terrible thing. When I asked for a pint of cider, they went, oh, do you want the local cider or do you want the tourist cider? So I said, what's going on, mate? What's the local cider? Oh, that's the one where we only know it's ready when the, the dead rat dissolves. So I, I was like, I went, I t- I, I'll have the local one, mate. And he went, he said, you'd be surprised how many cockneys fall for that story. <laughs> really? Anyway, we, we are so looking forward to seeing you yes. in Plymouth. It is a wonderful city. I haven't been there for so long, and I can't wait. Uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our pod as well, that would be very kind of you, and you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. We can't offer you anything in return. Uh, except a chance to do our end-of-season quiz, and that won't be to the end of next season. But it would still be lovely for you to put a bit of money our way. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks for everybody, and we, we genuinely are excited about coming to Plymouth. Um, as far as Patreon is concerned, I, I believe you can listen to it, listen to the show advert-free on, uh, I think, one of the, some of the higher tariffs. So, okay. so the, Yes, yeah. higher tariffs. Uh, uh, We've got more than one tariff. I believe so. Have but, we? You, but yeah, yeah. But there's I think it's a three pound a month as well as a one pound a month Is option. It? Yeah, yeah. That's just pathetic. What? That's the highest tariff we got is three quid. I think there's a fiver, but is I'm it? not sure. Yeah, I think you get a shout out now and then. You could, I can't. I can't, oh, I can't that, remember. Oh, okay, you got people like Josh Whitaker and Rob Becker you have to take out a mortgage to become a patron on their pod about <laughs> their kids, which they never see because they're all too busy doing live tours of their pod. We've got <laughs> ours is one pound, three pound, and five pound. We're, That's we're, right. we're, <laughs> oh, well. For for, but, for a pod about finance, Kieran, we're not very good at making money, are we? No, no we're not. <laughs> um, there's, there's another way you can support the show, though. You can you can go onto that podcast app of yours. You can give us a review. Um, it doesn't matter what you say. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Mr. Ben, and this is appealing to our demographics, <laughs> Batthink from the 1965-66 short-run uh, animated series, which took the Mickey out of Batman. I, uh, I, did it? I don't remember. But my, my cultural knowledge of the 60s and 70s is normally very good. I wouldn't worry about our younger demographic, Kieran. They like BAFTA. They've gone halfway through. They, they're, not, they're not clinging on to the end for the 70s and references. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, son, for the